I'm excited you're here this morning. We are uh, continuing in our series through the book of Philippians called Together We, and um, we're working our way through Philippians chapter 2, and a few weeks ago we began with a message called Together We Stand, and uh, last week Pastor Ben took us through the sermon entitled Together We Submit, where we looked at those powerful verses uh, that Paul said God has given Jesus now, the name above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord so that we would submit together. And this morning, we're going to look at the very next verses in Philippians chapter 2, which is verses 12 through 18, to discover how together we shine. How together we shine. And there's before we jump into the verses, there's a couple of things I want to be sure that we have a grip on this morning. The first is we've said... From the beginning of of working our way through the book of Philippians, that there is a theme. There's a thread that runs throughout the entire letter of Philippians. Do you remember what it is? It's the thread of, okay, were y'all paying attention, Uh, right, Uh, for the last six weeks? It's a thread of joy, right? It's the thread of joy. Some, Some almost 20 times in the letter of Philippians, Paul references joy or rejoicing. So that's kind of the theme of the entire letter. We want to hold that in one hand, this idea of joy. And then in the other hand, uh, I want us to hold what we call the thesis of the letter, which is, which is really kind of the driving um, uh, idea. And that we find that in Philippians uh, 1 verse 27, where Paul says, only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so these are the two things we hold in our hand as we navigate through the rest of the letter, right? Under the banner of joy and for the purpose of living worthy of the gospel, Paul is going to say everything else that he tells us to do in this letter. And all that he says, ready, is for our joy. Every command, every hard truth, it is for our joy and it is for the glory of Jesus as we live transformed living in obedience to the gospel. And so we've called this message this morning, Together We Shine, because we we get that from uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. We're going to read through that in just a minute. But what you find in verse 15 is Paul tells the church that they are to shine out against the, the backdrop of a crooked and twisted generation, that they are to shine like stars in the world. Now, the ESV says that the the phrase it uses is shine as lights. Some translations say uh, shine as stars. The Greek word there is the word phoster, which means light of the stars. And so it it could be either one works works perfectly uh, there. But the point Paul is making is, as you live out your obedience to Jesus, you are going to shine out like stars against a dark night sky. That's how believers are to shine out against the darkness of this broken world, to shine like stars. You know, as I've kind of spent time with that um, phrase, 
this week, I couldn't help but think of, of going out at night and looking up at the stars. One of the things I love, I love wintertime. Um, one, because it's not a million degrees in the shade, right? And so, and by the way, some of you people forget every winter. Somehow you have such a short-term memory that you've, you complain about the cold. I want you to know, I want to smack you when you say that, uh, because I know June through September is coming, and it's going to be a million degrees in the shade. And so next year, just keep those thoughts to yourself. Nobody wants to hear it. And so, um, but I love going out in the winter because uh, during the winter, there's, there's less humidity, there's less haze in the air, and on a clear night sky in winter, you can see thousands of stars. And early in, in Carrie and I's marriage, I would kind of nerd out, and I had a telescope that I would put on our back porch, and I would actually look up at the moon and at the stars. I've just always been fascinated with it. So it got me thinking about stars and remembering that, that our sun is really a star, one of one of billions of stars in our galaxy. Now, it's a large star. Uh, by the way, our sun is not even in the top 10 of, of stars in, our, in the Milky Way, right? You can fit 960,000 Earths in our sun, and it doesn't even break the top 10 of large stars. Our sun is one of 300 billion stars in our galaxy. And listen to this, our galaxy is one of 200 billion known galaxies in the universe. Anybody just want to do some quick math and figure out how many? Well, it's summertime, right? Don't make me do math, right? I'm not in school. So, so 200 billion galaxies that we know of in the universe. And if they just average what ours averages, 300 billion stars in each galaxy. One, one person I read this week said, for every speck of sand on Earth's beaches, there are one million stars. When I consider that, I can't help but think about Genesis 1, where it says, for our world, God created the sun by day to give light during the day and the moon to give light at night. And then in three little words, it addresses those trillions and trillions of stars. But I said, he made the sun by day and the moon by night and the stars. That's what it gives in the creation account to those trillions of stars and he created. Like, it's almost a throwaway verse, right? And what I know is in those trillions of verses, every one of them has a name. God gave them to him and he spun those into motion and he is Lord of them. That's what I know. But when I look up, I don't know if you've ever looked up, walked out, looked up at a night sky and actually like the brightness of the stars kind of caught you. You were like, oh, wow. Look at that. Look how they just stand out. Paul is saying, in that way, he is going to show us how our obedience to Jesus should shine out like those stars. And listen, the darker the culture gets, the brighter we ought to shine. Are you with me? We are in a culture and in a world that is perpetually degenerating and degrading. It is moving in the wrong direction, and the darker it gets, the brighter the church ought to shine. And that's the point Paul is going to drive home this morning. So if you're not already there, grab your Bible. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 12. If you are there, let me hear you say, the Bible is true. Amen. Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights. There's our phrase. Shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Lord, for the next few minutes, I pray that your word would be alive to us. Um, God, that we really would be encouraged as your sons and daughters this morning to live our lives shining out the glory of Jesus, living out in a radical obedience, living out faithfulness to your word, shining as stars in the world. Help us discover that together this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in verse 12, and again, we've seen one of Paul's favorite words. It's the word therefore. The man loved this word. He loved it right there. And when Paul uses this word, he is, about to, he is tying what he is about to say to what he just said. It's, that's why it's placed there, right? When you see the word therefore, it means what comes after it is tied to what came before it. And so what came before our therefore? In verse 12, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed. Well, what came before that? Well, Pastor Ben walked us through those verses last week in verses 9 through 11, some of the most powerful verses in the New Testament where he says, therefore, God has highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore... My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now continue to obey is what Paul is saying. So twice now in four verses, in verse 9 and in verse 12, Paul uses the word therefore. Why? Because what we're discovering is he's building a case. He's doing some work here, and he's moving us toward a level of obedience, but he's building the case for how we should obey and why we should obey and the purpose that God has in our obedience for how and why we should shine like stars in the world. So let's look at it. He says in verse, seven, uh, excuse me, verse 9, Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Well, that therefore is there for a reason too. And what comes after is tied to what came before. And well, here's what you find in verse 8. Paul says that Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself. Everybody say the word humble. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. He was humble. He was obedient, obedient to the point of death on the cross. And it's with that humility in view, it's with that obedience in view and that sacrifice in view that Paul says, therefore, because Jesus was humble and obedient, now, therefore, God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So listen, here's the meaning. Jesus was glorified through his obedience. And now in verse 12, Paul says, because that's true, because Jesus obeyed and is now highly exalted, he is saying the church is to humbly obey Jesus so that we might shine with the glory of God and that we might be exalted as well. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Verses 5 through 11 
in, verse, in those verses, Paul ties the obedience of Jesus to the glory of Jesus. And in verses 12 through 18, he is going to tie the obedience of the church to the church shining forth the glory of God. This isn't the sermon, but I want you to take hold of a reality, which is this. God's glory in your life and your obedience to Jesus are intrinsically linked to one another. And if you aren't walking in obedience, you aren't shining the glory, you aren't being filled with the glory, you aren't experiencing the glory of God. You want more of God's glory in your life? Walk in new measures of obedience to him. That Paul, is, he said, Jesus humbled himself and obeyed, and he was exalted. And he is saying, now, church, you obey like Christ and shine like stars. So the question I want us to answer this morning is this. As the church, how do we shine together like stars in our broken world? How do we do this? What does it look like for our obedience to Jesus to shine through us? There's three things I want us to see this morning. Uh, we Just th three realities I think we're going to pull from these verses. When we shine together, here's the first one. We shine together when we work out what God has worked in us. When we work out what God has worked in. Look again at verse 12 through 13. Therefore, because Jesus obeyed and is highly exalted, therefore, beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Again, realize Paul's in prison. So he was with them. He's seen them obey. And now he's saying, I'm in prison and I may never see you again. And even more in my absence, you have to continue in that obedience. He says, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and and to work for his good pleasure. Paul says there is a work God has done in us and a work that God is doing in us that must become a work he's doing out through us. There is a work God is doing in you if you belong to him through Jesus Christ that must become a work he is doing out through you in that salvation. Paul says we are to work out our Well, what does it mean to work out our own salvation? I want to tell you this is a tricky verse. This has been a tricky verse for the church um, because uh, it's kind of one of those, uh, uh, Richard, it's one of those theological landmines you don't want to step on, right? You want to be sure you get this right. I think the way we get this right is we nail down what it doesn't mean, right? Here's what I want you to know this morning. Working out your salvation is not working for your salvation. Are you with me? Working out your salvation is not working for your salvation. People have come to this verse and wrongly said, ah, I knew it. Look, see right there? We work for our salvation, right? And they, but it's, that's not at all what Paul is saying. I want you to remember the context of our letter. Paul is writing to a church. He's writing to people that he in chapter 1 called saints, not just because they were super good people, but because they were believers. He's writing to people that are already saved, which means he's not talking about how to get saved. He's talking about how to live saved. When he talks about work out your salvation, Paul is talking about how to walk out your faith in Jesus in response to what he has done in you. Over and over, Paul establishes the basis of our salvation, not as our work, but as God's grace, right? Paul has built 
of every letter he writes, he makes sure it is built on the foundation or we are saved by grace. He said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. He says in Romans 3, verse 24, that we are justified by His grace as a what? Gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, he says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. So hear me this morning. Salvation is not achieved or sustained by our works. It is God's grace given as a gift through faith in Jesus. And so this morning, I just want you to hear me. If there's any part of you that thinks, if I just become a better person, I'll be ready for a relationship with God. If I can just get my life fixed, if I can just get my stuff worked out, that is as far from the gospel as anything. Jesus died for the worst version of you. He died for the you that nobody knows but you and him. And there is not a work you can do that will make you righteous enough or good enough to earn the gift of salvation. Nothing. You simply receive what Christ did for you on the cross, paying the penalty for your sin. And say, I'm going to put my faith in that gift and have relationship with God. We cannot work for salvation. It is the free gift of God. So what then does it mean to work out our salvation? It means this means after we're saved, after we are justified, after we have been declared righteous through Christ, after we have been adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God, then God in us begins to work out of us. And that becomes a lifelong journey of a word we call sanctification. Sanctification. This is the process of working out or walking out our faith in Jesus through a life of obedience. There is no such thing as a disciple of Jesus that doesn't obey Jesus. Whew, why is it so quiet in here right now? Are you with me? There's no such thing as someone who says, I am a blood-bought disciple of Jesus Christ that doesn't obey Jesus. Paul is saying there's an outworking there's something that begins to come out of us because of the gospel work that has happened inside of us. There's this process we begin of looking more and more like Jesus, and it happens as we come in line with God, as we cooperate, cooperate with God, doing what He desires for our lives. And listen to me, it cannot happen without Him. Working out your salvation is the human responsibility in response to God's divine activity. That's what Paul means. Working out your salvation is your responsibility in response to God's divine activity in your life. 
He has saved me. So what does that mean? It's changed who I am. It's changed how I live. It's changed what I desire. It's changed where I go. It changes how I spend my money. It changes who I hang out with. It changes what I watch. It changes what I listen to. It's changed how I talk. It's changing how I think. It changes where I go. Why? Because it is working something out of me. Working out your salvation is a work God has done in you that is now being worked out through you. I think this is Paul just reiterating again what he said a few verses before in chapter 1, verse 27, when he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. This is an echo of that statement When Paul tells believers they need to work out their salvation, he means for them to live out the evidence of your salvation. Living out your faith in Jesus, walking in obedience. And listen, this working out our salvation, this this journey of discovery of what it means. Listen, when you get saved, the church has not always done a great job at helping new believers know how to walk as disciples. There's times people have come to faith in Jesus and then we just kind of expect them to walk like seasoned believers and not struggle with sin and love God's word the way they're supposed to and all these magical things should just begin to happen. And some of that's true, but really when you come to faith in Jesus, you begin taking the first steps of journeying with him. You begin taking those first infant baby steps of growing in your faith. This is what Paul means, working it out discovering, walking in obedience. And this is the fruit of the work God has done within, which is why he says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When we are saved, the Spirit of God and the truth of the gospel go to work. They go to work on our hearts. They go to work in our minds to transform us. And it's not passive. It is something we absolutely engage in as we reflect the humility and the obedience of Jesus and surrender to him. Here's the point. You cannot work out what God has not worked in. Some of the most joyless people in the world are people who would would say they're Christians but do not walk in obedience out of the power of God and the filling of the Holy Spirit, and for the joy of belonging to Him. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you're in a season where you're going, I don't find any joy in walking in obedience to Jesus. I'm just enjoying doing whatever I want to do. There's no joy in walking in obedience with Him. That is an evidence that the presence of God and the filling of the Holy Spirit is missing in your life. That's what that is. That's just an evidence, right? And Paul is saying for us, working out our salvation is the fruit of what God has done within us. This is the first way we shine together. We shine together as we work out what God has worked in. So these are, so the second one, second way we answer the question, how do we shine like stars in the world? We shine together when we pursue humility and unity as a priority. 
when we pursue intentionally, on purpose, we run after humility and we run after unity together as a priority in our lives. In verse 14, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Obviously, he's not talking to us when he says that because none of us have that issue, right? So we can just ignore verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as stars, light of the stars in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be poured, excuse me, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul says that when we walk in unity, not grumbling, not complaining, not disputing among ourselves, when we walk in humility and in unity, we stand out. We shine forth. I want you to notice the, the language, the, the play on words we see from Paul here in these verses. Uh, there's this juxtaposition I want you to see. In verse 12, uh, Paul says that we are to work out our salvation, and he puts two words there. With what? With fear and trembling. What does he mean by fear and trembling? Does he mean coward in a corner, scared to death? No, he means fear, a holy, reverent awe of God and who he is with fear and trembling, that overwhelming uh, awareness and wonder at his power and grace that's been given to you. Fear and trembling is I stand in awe of God and I'm overwhelmed that he loves me. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed that he saved me because I see him for who he is and I know who I am and fear and trembling is born in my heart when I realize the holy God of the universe gave me grace, gave me mercy. Paul says that's the fuel for obedience. That's the fuel for walking this thing out, fear and trembling. And then he says in verse 14 that as we do this, as we obey in all these things, what we are to leave out is grumbling and disputing. So here's the fuel for our obedience, fear and trembling, a holy, reverent fear of God, an overwhelming sense of gratitude and joy at his power and grace at work in us. And here's what has to be missing from our obedience, grumbling, complaining, and disunity. Because here's what every person in this room knows if you have children. Obedience with complaining is not obedience, right? Are you with me? How many of you got some kiddos where you may get the right action, but the attitude is all kinds of jacked up? You know what I mean, right? So, <laughs> uh, thankfully, that's not just, not just at my house. And so, um, we had a thing growing up with, with our kids where we would say, it's not enough to obey. You have to obey with a happy heart. That's what we would say to our children. And it was hard to say that with a straight face, right? Because I know, how hard it, I know how hard it was for them to obey with a happy heart, you know? And here's what I know as an adult. It's hard for me to obey with a happy heart, right? It is hard sometimes to obey. And the, the, the seedbed of that obedience is joy. Some of you right now, you got a thing where you, you may do the right thing, but the whole time you are grumbling and complaining, and you don't like it, and you don't want to do it. And that little child that wants to rebel against our parents too often works his way into our believing life, and we grumble and complain even as we're trying to walk in obedience to Jesus. 
And this is where Paul is saying, no, you walk this out with fear and trembling and you leave out grumbling and complaining and dissension and disunity and disputing with one another, right? So what's the opposite of grumbling and disputing? The opposite is humility and unity. I said a rhyme in the 8 o'clock service on accident. I didn't mean to, but I said, it's hard to grumble when you're humble. And then I debated on whether or not I was going to say it to y'all because I couldn't figure out whether or not it was too cheesy to say. But I'm saying it. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it, you know? When you're nailing it, you're nailing it, church. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it is hard to grumble. <laughs> I'm not saying it again. <laughs> But it's stuck in your head, right? You're going to go out and you're going to be going, oh, it's hard to grumble when you're humble. Make a song out of it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it is hard to grumble and complain when you really are walking in humility. Right? It is hard to pursue unity if you are disputing with one another. The opposite of grumbling and disputing is humility in unity, and we, pers- we shine forth when we pursue that as a priority, Amen. when we make that a priority, meaning this, even when we disagree as believers, we love one another, we encourage each other, we build each other up, we don't tear down, this marks us, this marks us, this causes us to stand out together against the darkness of a world that loves complaining and loves grumbling and loves quarreling. And some of you this morning, you have people in your life that you have given access to, and right now, you know they love to complain. Some of you have believers in your life that complain about being obedient to God. It sounds like, uh, yeah, man, they want us up at the church all the time. Sundays, Wednesdays, I don't have time for that. Do all things without grumbling, disputing. Man, they really expect me to read my Bible every day? Come to the prayer on Wednesday nights? Man, I, I get in late. I got to get up early. Do all things without grumbling, disputing. Some of you have people who have access to your life who love to complain, they love drama. They love to stir up nonsense. And if you don't know who that person is, it might be you. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit of God in you ought to stir up a holy discomfort when you are around someone who loves to complain and loves to dispute. Those who are filled, listen to this, those who are filled with the Holy Spirit should never be comfortable around someone who is comfortable complaining. There ought to be something in us that goes, man, I just, I feel the need to push away from that. I'm not going to be drawn into this time of complaining. I'm not going to be caught drawn into this grumbling and this disputing. Paul says, you want to shine like stars in the world? 
obey Jesus without complaining about it. Put put down your preferences for the sake of someone else. Let your love your fellow believers deeply, even if you disagree with them. And he says that when we do this, in verse 13, when we do this, we become blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish. In other words, he is saying in the pursuit of humility, in the pursuit of unity, and in the absence of grumbling and disputing, we are marked as belonging to God. It's an evidence that there is a common work that has been done in us, that we share together, that overcomes everything that might divide us. Everything that might divide us. We have to stop letting political issues divide the church. I'm not going to preach this, but the Holy Spirit just, I feel like he wants to be saved. We have to stop letting the fact that we don't agree on every political issue divide us as the body of Christ. Are you with me? We are in a culture that desires for us to live at the furthest as possible extremes as it can pull us. Believing that we ought to hate anyone that doesn't stand in my camp. And Jesus said we are to live, Paul said we are to live this life in obedience to Jesus, shining like stars in the world, so that even if we stand in different political camps, we love deeply. And we pursue the mission of God together. And we are bound together by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, pursuing joy in the presence of God, and walking out this salvation in obedience to Jesus. Moving on. Which sounds a lot like the words Jesus said in John 13. And he said, by this, all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Not if you agree all the time. Woo, aren't you glad it didn't say that? This is how they're going to know you belong to me. You're all going to vote exactly the same. He didn't say that. He said, this is how you're going to know you belong to me. That even when you disagree, you love one another. You serve one another. You're humble toward each other. And you pursue unity together and this is going to take you out of a dark world that loves disunity and it's going to cause you to shine like stars in the world we work out what god has worked in we pursue unity and humility as a priority here's the last thing we live joyfully even as we live sacrificially we live joyfully even as we live Sacrificially. Again, we see Paul putting words together that we don't normally put together. Joy and sacrifice. Right? These aren't words that we often join together, but here is Paul again hammering this truth in Philippians. Remember what he said in chapter one? He said, I'm in prison, but I rejoice. I'm I'm sacrificing, but I have joy because the gospel is advancing. And now in verse 17 of chapter 2, he says this, Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering, we're going to talk about what that means in a moment. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. What does Paul mean by drink offering? This is 
It's an Old Testament picture of sacrificial worship. That's what this is. After the priest would sacrifice a lamb or a, a bull or whatever it was, after they would sacrifice the animal, the priest would pour out on the altar or on the altar fire a cup of wine, a drink offering. And it would create this aroma with, with the sacrifice. And, and that pouring out of the wine and that creating of the aroma, it was the final act of, of that worship and of that sacrifice. So sacrifice the animal, pour out the wine on the altar fire, and the steam that was created was meant to symbolize the, the offering rising up to God. And it, and it was that final act of worship. And here is Paul saying, the final act of my life is going to be that I am poured out like a drink offering on behalf of the church. And even if this imprisonment, remember he's in jail, even if this imprisonment ends in my death, if I never see you again, I'm glad. And I rejoice that I have been poured out as a sacrifice in obedience to Jesus and for the sake of the church. Living joyfully, even as he lived sacrificially. Paul said, I'm going to be poured out like a drink offering. My life is going to be emptied out as a sacrifice. And he tells the church, I am glad and I rejoice with you. And I need you to be glad and rejoice with me. Meaning, when you see a brother or sister walk in obedience to Jesus, you get alongside them and you cheer them on like crazy. You rejoice. When you see a brother or sister make a hard decision to walk in obedience to Jesus and it cost them something, you come alongside them and you rejoice with them. You celebrate that with them. This is why Paul said, I want to come to the end, stand before Jesus, and I want to be proud that I didn't run in vain. I want to be glad that I was poured out, and I want you to be glad that I was poured out. I need you to cheer me on as I sacrifice myself in obedience to Christ and for the sake of the church. Here's what these verses would have sounded like <laughs> if, if I would have wrote them. They sound a little different, Right? My verses would have sounded something like, hey, uh, church at Philippi, I want you to know something. This jail stinks, and I hate being here. The food's terrible. I think they're trying to starve me to death. I am sick of this brutal guard who mistreats me every day, and I'm chained to him. They, they humiliate me every day, and I hate it here. But I want you to know something. I'm doing this for you. You ever have somebody tell you how much they're doing for you and then complain about how much it cost them to do the thing they're doing for you, but you're supposed to be thankful that they're doing it? I'm like, hey, man, I don't need to know all that. Just tell me you love me and you're sacrificing. That's all. You know, I don't need to know that you hate every second of it. It immediately stopped being a blessing. Right? That's what I would have wrote in there. Listen, Philippians, I want y'all to know something. This stinks. I hate every second of it. Y'all better be thankful for what I'm doing. Right? But you don't see one word of grumbling uh, from Paul. Not one word of complaining. Here's what you see. All you see is Paul's joy at the privilege of sacrificing his life for the gospel. <laughs> you see Paul's joy at the privilege 
of sacrificing his life for the gospel. I want to tell you, I love the idea of that. I need the Holy Spirit to help me embrace the reality of that. Anybody else in this room? I love the idea of rejoicing and being sacrificed for the God. I love the idea. I need the Holy Spirit's help to help me embrace that as a reality. Some questions that started in my heart this week as I was walking through this were, does it really give me joy to obey Jesus? I'm talking about, is it life-giving joy to obey Jesus? Do I see living sacrificially, making hard decisions in obedience to God's word? Do I see that as a privilege, that I would get to do that? Paul said, we shine like stars in a dark and broken world when we live joyfully, even as we live sacrificially. Jesus was the greatest example of this, right? He was poured out as a drink offering. In Luke 22, verse 20, he's at the Last Supper, and he picks up that cup with his disciples, and he said, this cup that is poured out for you, like a drink offering, is the new covenant of my blood. Here's what the writer of Hebrews said. The writer of Hebrews said that it was in the pursuit of joy that Jesus endured the cross and was poured out as a drink. Jesus lived joyfully even as he lived sacrificially. This isn't the first time in God's word that we're called to live as lights, as light in the world and to shine like stars, right? Remember the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching his disciples what it looks like to live in obedience, what it looks like to walk out this life, what it looks like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And here's what he told them in Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. That is who you are. He doesn't talk about who they were. He talks about who they are. This is who you are. You're the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. And a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine. Same phrase. Light of the stars. Let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works, your obedience, and give glory to your Father. And again, we see the link between obedience and glory. Your world, where you need, where you live, where you work, where you play, your world needs you to shine. Your job needs for you to shine like stars. It needs for you to stand out. It needs for you to have humility. It needs for you to embrace unity. It needs for you to push away from complaining and grumbling. It needs for you to have joy even as you sacrifice. It needs it. Jesus commanded it. Let your light shine. We shine like stars when we work out what God has worked in. Um, 
when we pursue humility and unity and we, when we live joyfully even as we live sacrificially. This morning, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to end our time together. But I, I want to tell you, I said earlier in the service that I was going to give you a chance to respond to the gospel. When I say, when, when we dismiss this service, if your honest answer to whether or not you've experienced this kind of new life in Christ, it would be, I don't know or no. I've, I've never experienced that. I've never been born again. I've never been made alive. I've never experienced the power of God in my life. I know I haven't. Um, then the moment we dismiss, I'm going to be standing right here. I just want you to come to me and go, man, I don't know why, but when you said that, I felt like you were talking right to me. I don't know what to do. Good. We're, I'm going to show you what to do. If you are a believer this morning, there is that moment where you have made Jesus the Lord of your life and he has changed you forever. Here's what he's calling you to do. Live, shine, walk out as lights to the world. Shine the light of the gospel. Lord, I love you and I'm so thankful for your word. And I pray God this morning that as we hear it, we would do more than appreciate it, God, but that we would take it in. We would digest it. That it would get inside of us. And it would grip us and it would hold us. Help us to work out our salvation, God. Becoming more like Jesus. Help us love humility and unity. Give us joy even as we walk sacrificially. I love you and I thank you for the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.